Actually, would y'all stand up as we read the word? Let's get those legs. Um, first, I would like to introduce our Christ Covenant's very own executive pastor, Barrett Fisher, will be, sing will be preaching tonight. Not singing. He will be preaching. Um, I will be reading out of Job 30, verses 16 through 23. So if y'all could take a moment to turn there. And now my soul is poured out within me. The days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. With great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like the collar of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hands, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind, you make me ride on it, and you toss me about in the roar of the storm. For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thanks, John. <clears throat> well, guys, it's exciting to be here with you all tonight. As John said, one of the pastors at Christ Covenant, I have my beautiful wife, Jobeth, on the front row here with us tonight. We've got six little ones, and they are at the house up in East Cobb. Our oldest, Evangeline, she's uh, 13 and is watching all six of them, all the rest of the five. And so, uh, so Jobeth got to come tonight and experience uh, this amazing crowd. And it's just so good to be with you guys and uh, so good to get to open up God's word with you. I love it. Um, Will Carlisle and I sometimes joke that like when I get into the word, I just get serious and I, I'm, like, I'm like ready to take the gloves off. Uh, and so I, I'm not normally like that as a person, but when I get in the word, it's like, man, we're serious. So when you get into Job, it's like this is one of the worst books or maybe one of the best books that I could have preached on because it is kind of gloves off, like very real, very raw, just get in there and, and dig down. And so even the passage that John just wrote, uh, just read, um, it's, it's just a very, a very real depiction of how Job is feeling at the end, uh, towards the end of, of, of the book in, in the hardships, these like crazy hardships that he is going through. And so he's just kind of pouring out his soul to God at this point. Um, and it's just a very, very real, very raw book. And so uh, when Thomas told me that I was preaching on the book of Job, he, I asked, well, what am I preaching on? And he, he said, well, Job. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, but what text? And he said, well, chapters 4 to 31. And I was like, what? I, I'm, I'm not used to preaching on uh, 28 chapters of the Bible, but... Um, there's a reason for going through that much in a single sermon, and uh, we will not be reading the whole text tonight. I will, I will have you know, that would take far too long. And so I, I'll, I'll just tell you up front that we're not going to be reading a ton out of chapters 4 to 31. So if you're interested, and I hope you are, I, I would encourage you to go read some of, of the whole book of Job as you guys go through this series, but particularly chapters 4 to 31. And uh, I think there's some some things that the Lord might have for you. But you will see as you read it, there is some repetition 
with Job and his friends. And I think that's why tonight we're trying to kind of condense it down, summarize it into, into one sermon. So you guys have already, you know, Thomas has given a couple of sermons and then uh, Will Kynes was here last week and have kind of opened up Job to you guys in the first three chapters. And you've seen that Job's tragedy is that God allows Satan to attack him, which raises like all kinds of crazy questions in our minds of, of what in the world is going on with all that. And so uh, God allows Satan to attack him. Job loses his, his livestock, his servants, his sons, his daughters. And then he is sitting there with sores on his entire body from head to toe. And it says that he was sitting on the ash heap and he takes like a broken piece of pottery and is like trying to scrape. I mean, you can just picture this like totally desperate man who was sitting there trying to scrape the sores on his body, completely alone, sitting on an ash heap. And then in chapter 2, we get introduced to these three friends of Job. The three friends are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And so these guys culturally are, are kind of these comforters that come in to help Job kind of process the grief that he's going through as he's lost his livestock, lost all of his animal. I mean, he had like hundreds. So he lost all of this. He, his sons and his daughters are killed in a house. All 10 of them together are killed. And so he's, he's, ha he's experiencing this crazy hardship and they're coming alongside him, these three friends, basically to comfort him and to help the, the bereaved to kind of process the situation, provide emotional support for him, but also to try to kind of like bring him back into society at some point. And so uh, Job 3 last week, Will Kynes, he, if you guys were here, uh, went over Job 3 and kind of talked about how the friends come in uh, and, and sit with him. And then after seven days, Job finally speaks and he starts to lament the very day that he was born. I mean, he just, he just starts to pour out his heart and say, you know, I, I wish I had never been born because of all the tragedy and all the hardship that I've had to go through. I, I'm, I'm wishing now that I had never existed. I'd never been born. And so the friends are sitting there with him. And then in Job chapters 4 to 25, which is a huge section of what we were given tonight. So chapters, chapters 4 to 25, it's basically this back and forth between Job and these three friends. So you're going to have Eliphaz and he responds to Job in chapter 4. And then Job in chapter 5 comes back and he responds to what Eliphaz has to say. And then you get Bildad and then Bildad's going to go on this long tirade with Job. And then Job's going to uh, respond to him. And then you get Zophar and then Zophar talks to him. And then Job responds. And so this just goes back and forth like that for all of those chapters, for like 21 22 chapters. And uh, Job basically just keeps responding and keeps saying that my complaint before God is a just complaint. And then he just further laments his situation and is further just in this deep sorrow about his situation. And not only that, he's actually got his three friends that are just kind of pounding him. And so I think we've got Job uh, 16, 2 and 3 maybe on the slide, but uh, it, it kind of sums up, it kind of sums up what uh, Job thinks of his friends. You know, he says, you are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? Have you ever had a friend like this? It's like, dude, will you just shut up? 
oh my gosh, I'm dying here. And you're just like turning the knife in me. And this is basically what Job is saying to his three friends. He's saying, will, you, will your long-winded speeches never end? Will you guys just shut up? And immediately after that, you get Bildad, and he just lights into him again. And he's like, Job, you've been sinning. You're wicked. You need to repent. And, it's just, and then it just keeps going on and on. And it keeps going on and on. And then at the end of this section, chapters 26 to 31... You then get Job and he kind of pulls out this very lengthy kind of final response or final appeal to his, responding to his friends, but also talking to the Lord and, uh, and, and you get this final response. And then uh, John earlier read uh, chapter 30, read a few verses in there. And in, in verse 19, you can just kind of, you can just kind of feel Job's pain. He says, God has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. And this is, this is kind of where Job is. That, that, that he, he's, he feels like he's just in the mire. He's been cast in dust and ashes. He just poured out his heart and said, I wished as though I had never been born. And so that's kind of the overview, the summary of chapters 4 to 31. I mean, it's a, it's a, little, it's a little depressing. And the book of Job is a little depressing. But I, but I think if we can, I think if we can get away from this like, you know, Western American idea of we've always got to be happy, we've always got to talk about good things. If we can kind of press in and lean into Job a little bit and his sorrow and his suffering, I, I think the Lord might have something to say for us. So I want us to look at three things tonight uh, related to this very lengthy passage of Scripture, and I think the Lord hopefully will have a word for each of us. So. The first thing that I want us to consider, you can see them there. So the first thing is Job's friends, I think they get a bad rap. And I, and I want to explain this to you guys because I feel like as we dive into Scripture, you actually need to get a, a full picture. And I, I think this has been uh, largely misunderstood. We'll dive in there. And then number two, we're going to get into their good friends, but they actually give very bad interpretation of his life events and actually very, very bad advice. And the last thing is that it... it how you respond to suffering matters. How you respond to suffering matters. So the first thing, Job's friends, they get a bad rap. And I'm going to give you three reasons. If you're taking notes, you can kind of write these down. But three reasons why Job's friends get a bad rap. The first reason is that his friends, and you can see on the next slide uh, in chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, that they actually come to show him sympathy and comfort. And so you, you, can, you can read here where the three friends come, and in verse 12 it says, when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground, look at that, seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. And so literally this guy is, is wishing that he had never been born and he's got three friends that come to him and they tear their robes and they just sit down with the guy for seven days and seven nights. And they're just with him and it's totally silent. These are good friends. Do you have friends like that? You have friends like this? That like if you're in such pain and such agony, such turmoil, that they would just come and just be with you. And just sit with you. So the, friend, the, the friends get off to a very good start. 
And I think there's other reasons why they are, they are um, good, uh, good friends to him. And so they, they sit down with him for seven days and seven nights. And I think the second thing that they're trying to do is they're trying to interpret Job's situation. Okay? This is a sign of a good friend. A sign of a good friend is someone who comes and will sit with you, and then they're actually going to try to work through with you what is going on in your life. Okay? All of you might be experiencing things. You might be changing jobs. You might have just broken up with somebody or whatever it might be. And, and you're trying to interpret, like, Lord, why is this happening? And, and yes, we can go to Scripture, and you absolutely should go to Scripture. Yes, you can go to prayer, and you absolutely should go to prayer. But I've always found it extremely helpful in my life to have those very trusted friends who are going to come, and they're going to sit down with me, and they're just going to try to, like, work through the situation with me. Okay? And I would say in order to have those friends, you've got you to be a friend like that yourself. Okay? It's mutual. But, uh, but they're sitting down with him, and they're trying to interpret the things that are going on in his life, albeit... They don't give him good advice. That's, that's point number two, so we'll get to that one. But the third reason why I think that these guys are actually really good friends is because at the very end of the book, in chapter 42, it says that um, God, I, I, we probably know the, end of, you know the end of the story, like God ends up restoring not only the original wealth of Job, but actually gives him double uh, except for the children, but he, but he actually gives him double of what, uh, of what he had. And so he restores his wealth. But if you, look at, if you look at verse 10, it says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. So basically the Lord comes to Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. He comes to them and he says, you need to go to Job and he's going to offer sacrifices on your behalf. And then he's going to pray for you. And when he prays for you, then you're going to be restored. And what do these three guys do? They don't shake their fist at God. They actually obey God and they do exactly what, they, what he says. And so they go to Job and they bring these sacrifices. He offers them on their behalf. And then, uh, and then Job prays for them. And the story suggests very strongly that there's a restoration that happens. God does not destroy these three friends. And I would like to believe that Job and these three guys actually remain friends for a very long time. But there is a period of time here where um, there is a very difficult uh, time between Job and these three friends. And we'll get there in just a minute. But I, I, I think the point on these friends is that it's worth taking a step back and just kind of looking at your own life and saying, am I th this kind of friend? Do I treat other people in this way? Do I have these type people in my life? Joe Beth and I, uh, we got away earlier and went to Little Ray's. It was Joe Beth's first time at Little Ray's. How about that? And she loved it. Loved every bit. Right down to the queso. I mean, it was like, she loved it. Uh, we went to Little Ray's and we saw Lucy and Lacey were doing their small group at Little Ray's. And then we went to the collective and I went to go print off my sermon. And, uh, and we saw a couple other groups that were meeting at the collective. Like, that, that is so good. As believers, we need community. And I would say we need like corporate gatherings like this. Like this is a very good thing on Sunday mornings, Christ's covenant. We need corporate worship together. And these are very good things. But man, you need a smaller community. You, you need a group of, of friends around you that is going to come and sit with you for seven days and seven nights or whatever that looks like in modern day terms. They're going to come and they're going to sit down with you. And they're going to they're try to interpret your situation with you. But it is very important who the, the friends that we choose. So in, in the past, I think 
There's been the tendency to view these as like the terrible friends. I don't think they're the terrible friends. I think they're actually good friends to Job, but they give very terrible advice and very terrible interpretation of the events that are happening in his life. So that brings us to the second point, that they're good friends, but they give bad interpretation or bad advice. So let's dig down into this a little bit. Uh, in, in Job chapter 4, and I think, I've, I think I've got it there, but in Job chapter 4, verses 7 and 8... Uh, we see Eliphaz, okay? Here's old Eliphaz. He's responding to Job. Job says, I wish I had never been born. Eliphaz is like, I, buddy, I love you. I'm about to light into you, okay? So get ready. And then he, he says in uh, verses 7 and 8, he says, remember, who, uh, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Do you understand what Eliphaz is saying to Job? He's, he's basically using what you guys have already talked about in the last three weeks, this retribution principle that the righteous will prosper. Okay, this is an idea that's in the Bible. The righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. The wicked will be punished. Okay. And he's basically using this. And another way to kind of state the retribution principle is that you'll sow what you reap. Uh, sorry, you reap what you sow. Sometimes I get that backwards. You reap what you sow. And, and that's, and that's uh, basically what the retribution principle is, that you reap what you sow. you sow. You sow righteousness and you will prosper. God will bless you. You sow evil, you're wicked, and you will suffer. You will be punished. And so that's kind of what, that's kind of what he's doing. Uh, you know, my dad would, he would say this like all the time. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You know, it was like we'd do something stupid always. You know, it was never like we did something good. And it's like, you reap what you sow. It was always like you do something stupid to one of your brother, you know, one of my brothers. And then it was like, well, you reap what you sow, son. You know, it was like, okay, I, I get it, dad. And so, but that is a very, that is a very biblical uh, concept that you reap what you sow. When uh, we, we, had the opportunity to serve overseas for a number of years in, uh, in Indonesia. And when I was in Indonesia, um, one thing that I got into, and I mainly like when the kids got to be big enough, I don't know, they were like four or five, six years old or something like that. And one thing that we would do is uh, I, I love to take a papaya. I don't know if you've got, you guys have eaten much papaya in your life, but it's one of the best, I, I would say it's one of the most perfect fruits on the face of the earth. And so, and I can give you lots of reasons, but we're not going to go into that. But when you cut open a papaya and you split it open, there's literally like almost, it looks like hundreds of seeds that are in the papaya. And so I, I got real big into with the kids, like planting these papaya seeds in our yard and watch pap and papaya trees grow. And so we would take a few seeds and the kids just, I mean, they, they eat it up, like they love it. And you got to like squish the little thing on the seeds and then you let them dry out for a few days. And then we'd take them outside and dig a hole in the ground. We'd put them in there and we watched it, you know, and we had these papaya trees that grew up. And guess what they produced? Papayas. We reaped what we sowed. It's actually like a very simple gardening principle that whatever you sow into the ground, that you will reap. And, um, and so th this, is, this is basically what Eliphaz is kind of using as his interpretive lens for all the things that are happening in Job's situation, okay? That you reap what you sow. But I, I, I think we need to... I think we need to think about this a, a little bit deeper, okay? Because there's actually more to the story 
than just you reap what you sow. And this retribution principle of the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. So the Bible teaches the retribution principle. You can see a few verses that are up on the screen there. Uh, from Proverbs 11, it says, The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. And so, I mean, you can see the retribution principle in that. You can see this like you reap what you sow. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into a, his own pit. But the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. And then in Galatians 6, verse 7, you can see there that it's you reap what you sow. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, this will he also reap. So I, 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 want, I want you guys to see that like this retribution principle, it is a very biblical principle. Okay? But we've got to think a little deeper on it because the, the question is, how immediate does this principle work out? This is a question that you have to ask of the retribution principle. How immediate in my life does this work out? See, the world is, is more complex than simply saying that in every circumstance, the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer or will be punished. It's just not the way it works out. And so what I would say is true of the retribution principle is that it's true over the course of one's life. Okay, this proves to be true over the course of one's life. And it does not always take effect immediately. Sometimes there are very immediate consequences for your actions. You do something that you are not supposed to do, you can face very immediate consequences. You do something righteous or, or a very good deed, you can, you can reap immediate fruit. And so it can happen immediately, but oftentimes it does not. And in fact, I would say God in his wisdom has a whole lot more that is going on. And that's what's going on in the book of Job. That a guy like Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, they're coming to Job and they're just interpreting this very literally and very immediately. So... We have, to, we have to look at what they are, um, what they're actually doing. And what the three friends are actually doing with this retribution principle is they're actually applying this thing backwards, okay? They're actually using the reverse of the retribution principle. So basically what they're saying is that if I see you suffering, it means that you have been wicked, and the reverse of the other side is that if I see you are prospering, that means you must be righteous. And I, and I think, I think we, we actually probably do this more in our life than we think. But this is not a good way to interpret things, okay? And just a quick word on interpreting things, right? All of us are interpreting the things that we encounter all the time. Okay, every single thing that's happening, every interaction with a human being, there's something that's going on in our brain that's kind of reading and interpreting that situation. Did it feel good? Did it not feel good? What was up with that guy? Like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, you know, and so we're, we're constantly interpreting these things. Jo Beth and I were in a car ride. She was telling me some things about the kids on the way here. And I found myself, I'm trying to interpret what's going on. Well, I think we're just tired, babe. You know, I, I think stuff's just going on. I don't know. 
we've, we just, we've, had, we've, we've been around a lot of people lately. Like, you know, and so I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to interpret. I'm trying to interpret. And we're constantly doing this. And so I, I think it's worth looking at a book like Job to try to give us some handles on how do we interpret. But we should not interpret things as looking at if someone is suffering, there must be some wickedness in their life. Or if someone is prospering, it means that the hand of God is on that person. And it means that that person is righteous. Uh, but we, we do this a lot. You know, something fortunate happens to, to you and, and we say things like, man, she must be living right. I mean, we'll, we'll say like little things like that. And it's, it's giving a, a window into like the interpretive lens that we use to kind of look at, at life's events or something unfortunate happens to you and you immediately start to question, is this, is this because something I, I did? You know, and you start to ask the Lord, like, what did I do? I don't think that's an all bad question to come to the Lord and ask. Oftentimes you already know whether you've done something to, you know, to, to reap those consequences. But, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll say these things that are immediate. And we're kind of using the same uh, wrong thinking on the retribution principle that these three friends are doing. Uh, if, if you look at John chapter 9, there's a, there's a story where Jesus is, uh, and, I, and I got it up here so you guys aren't like flipping everywhere. But in John chapter 9, Jesus is, is in his ministry and he comes by this, this blind man. And says so he passed by and he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? You can see this is the reverse of the retribution principle. Something, something bad has happened. That means somebody sinned. Somebody has done wickedness. And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I mean, picture this. There's a guy that is blind from birth. And they, 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 they come along and they, and they ask. And they say, whose sin was? Who went wrong? Why is this guy blind? And what is Jesus' response? His response is not, well, it wasn't, it wasn't the sin of this guy. It wasn't the sin of his parents. He's just blind. Jesus doesn't say that. What does he say? That the works of God might be displayed in this guy. Like when you're, when you're sitting down with your friends and they're going through a hard time and they're suffering, or you're suffering and your friends come and sit down with you and try to help you work through it? Are you using this kind of logic? That like there might be something that's going on in your life and God wants to display himself through those things? I, I, feel, like, I feel like in America, we've gotten so wrapped up in ourselves and we've gotten so used to this comfort culture where if it feels uncomfortable, it is wrong. And I would say that's not, that's not right. We've, we've, this is why we have to go to Scripture and we have to look at passages like this to say, you know what? The Lord may be doing something in my life through the difficult situation I'm going through, through the turmoil that I'm going through. He might want to display his glory through what's going on in my life. Do you think about that? Consider it. Mark this up in your Bible. John chapter 9. Go home, meditate on that. If you're going through a difficult situation right now, go home and, and, and just meditate on this passage and think about it. And think, Lord, are you, trying to, are you trying to do something? Are you trying to display your glory through me? And if that's true, 
probably what he wants to do is take, take your situation and get the focus off of you. And he probably wants to put the focus on him so that he is glorified through the situation that you're going through. Folks, this, this is tough stuff. I, I'm, I, I'm not sitting up here preaching to you as if like I do this wonderfully. I do not. And I'm very well aware of that in my own life. What happens when something happens to me and it feels uncomfortable? I grumble, complain. I'm upset about it. We do it all the time. But I think if we can lean into things like this, we might be able to interpret things better. And we might be able to handle these situations in a way that God will receive glory. And I guarantee you, if he receives glory through you, you will be in a much better situation than you sitting down and just focusing on yourself and all the pain and the suffering that you're going through. <clears throat> so there's, there's a huge role for wisdom to play in this, in this whole thing, okay? Sometimes we, sometimes we focus on, on, on the justice of God, you know, is God just? That's kind of the name of the series or whatever. And, and, and we've, we focus on that, you know, evildoers should be punished, the righteous should be exalted and lifted up. There's a huge level of wisdom that has to come into these things. Maybe the Lord's doing something in your life. Maybe when you go down and you sit with your friend, like these three guys, you don't need to sit there and just beat them over the head like these three guys do to Job. Maybe you need to say, maybe the Lord's trying to do something in your life. Have you, have you asked the Lord what he's trying to show you through this situation? This, I, I think this is a good and a right posture before the Lord for those who are going through things. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Honestly, these three things, like literally you can live your life by that. Okay, James 1.19. You jot that down when you're taking it. So it's, it's those three things. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to listen. Trust me, it, it works in a marriage. <laughs> if I can do those things, it works in a marriage. And I don't always. And she, could, she can attest to that. But, uh, but if we live by these things, like this is the wisdom of God that is, that is entering into us to where we can face life circumstances and we can start to see things through God's eternal perspective, his lens, and we're not just viewing it with, with these cultural lenses that are not only handed to us, they are pumped into us. It is literally the air that we breathe around here. In Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States of America, this is the air that we breathe. This cultural lens of interpreting things. We, we find ourselves saying things like, you know what, all good things come to an end. It's like, what? Huh? What, what is that? It's the first time for everything, man. Don't worry about it. It's the first time for everything. It's like, what? What, 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 what advice is that? You got to listen to your heart. You just got to listen to your heart. Just go with your heart. What, what, what kind of advice is that? Why are you trusting your heart? You know, when we say these things, they just come out of our mouth. You know what? You have every right to be mad at him. What is that? What about forgiveness? What about grace? Where, does, where do these things enter into the equation? 
what is providing the lens that we're interpreting things through? I, I, I would ask that. Consider that. And I think that's what wisdom is. I think that's what the wisdom of God is. It's when we can take principles like John 9, and we can take principles like James 1.19, and we can start to live by those things. And we can start to use those things to actually interpret the situations that we're going through and the things that we might be facing. So you need to be careful about the advice that you give to others and which friends' advice you are following. I think you need to be careful. You need to lean into the wisdom of God to interpret the, the events in your life and the events in the lives of your friends. Are you, are you simply using some oversimplified retribution principle? It's not good. It won't work. Using some other conventional wisdom of the world, I would encourage you, dig into the word. Use the word to interpret your life by. This brings us to the third point. How you respond to suffering matters. It matters. Are you suffering? You going through a hard time? Here's the first question you need to ask. Why am I going through this hard time? Is it because of some sin that's in my life? If it is, you are not in Job's situation. Okay? Sometimes we have a tendency, this, this is called misusing scripture, okay? You've done something, you've blatantly sinned in your life, you're facing the consequences, and you go to those select passages in Job where you're sitting on the ash heap and you're scraping yourself and the boils that have broken out all over your body. And you're saying, woe is me. I shouldn't be suffering like this. You are not in Job's situation, okay? Job, from the very beginning, God himself in chapters 1 and 2, chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 3, says that Job is a, a he says four things. He says Job is a blameless man. He is an upright man. He fears God and he turns away from evil. So God says this two times. And Satan actually comes to God and asks for the life of Job because he is a righteous man. So Job is entering into his suffering precisely because he's a righteous man. Okay, so if you've done something in your life and you've, you've blatantly sinned against God and you know you are, you know you have, but you're more concerned about the consequences of sin that are happening in your life, I would say you are not in Job's situation and your response is very simple. You need to repent of that sin and you need to ask forgiveness to whoever might have been involved with that. Okay, so that's the first thing you need to do. If you're suffering, you're having a difficult time in your life, I, I would say this is the first question. You need to ask why. If you're, if you're sinning, then, then you need to get that straight with the Lord. But it's, it's not always the case. It's not always the case. Sometimes it is, it is, it is wholly uh, not due to, to some sin issue that is going on in our life, but we are actually suffering for righteousness' sake. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so this is a, this is a very real thing in the Bible that can happen. Um, and if you look at James, I, I think we've got it up there, but James 1, verses 2 and 3, uh, it, it James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing 
of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's what I want us to see. The Bible, it's a very real thing in the Bible that the Lord will test your faith. Okay? And there's, there's very specific reasons why the Lord will test your faith. And I think it says it right here. It says that it will actually produce steadfastness in you. So the Lord will test your faith. I, I oftentimes say, like, the life of a Christian actually is one of the more difficult lives that you can live. Why? Because it's like we have to wrestle with all this stuff. we got to struggle with all this stuff. If you want to cast off Jesus and say, I don't really care, and you want to live however, whatever comes to your mind and whatever desires you have, and you just go after that full steam, it's easy. You don't have to wake up in the morning and think about, man, did I read the word today? Man, did I pray today? You do whatever you want. Do what you want. But to follow Jesus, man, it can be tough at times. You got to wrestle through this stuff. Jesus said that you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. That is so against the way that, that, that the curse of sin inside of us is wired to deny ourselves. We're wired for that spotlight to be on ourselves, for us to be so self-consumed, so into ourselves, so into our desires. The Bible says that you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Man, the Christian life, can, it, it's It's difficult. We got to wrestle through these things. But it's a very real thing that, that the Lord will test your faith. It's like, well, that's kind of mean, God. Like, why are you doing that? No, it's not mean. It is for your good. We all need it. We are not by nature steadfast people. We're very volatile. You've experienced it. You've all experienced it in your life. I know you have. We all have. We are not steadfast. And part of this growing in the Lord and part of trying to use wisdom to interpret the events in our life, part of that is the journey to steadfastness. Part of that is the journey to, to just being a stable, steadfast person. No matter what comes, good things come. You're not too high on that, trusting in that. Bad things come. You're not too low. You understand. The Lord's doing some things in my life. And it might be one of those times where he's testing my faith. And it very much matters how you respond. So some of us probably need to change our view of God. We probably need to change our, the view of our circumstances and, and the difficult things that we're going through or you have been through. To make it more in line with what the word says. And I, I promise you it'll be better. You, you got to trust me. It will be better for you. If you will start to infuse some of these things and think, Lord, how can you be glorified in this situation? Not how can I sink deeper into my own pain and suffering? It will be better for you. I think I got Job 30 up there again. You can just kind of feel Job. He says, yet does not one in a heap of ruins stretch out his hand and in his disaster cry for help? Did not I weep for him whose day was hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? 
But when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. He, he, Job is so, he's so real before the Lord. I think this is how the Lord, I think the Lord's giving us this example because he wants us to be more like this, okay? What I see is that Job is still very much under the umbrella of being steadfast. And yet he, he's, he's under the umbrella of like, he's in the shadow of the Almighty, if you will. He's staying within the Lord and he's trusting in the Lord. But man, he's putting some very hard questions to the Lord. And he's asking him some very hard things. When I hoped for good, evil came. When I waited for light, darkness came. Lord, what are you doing in my life? And I think it's okay to do that. And I think it's okay to express anger towards the Lord. I think it's okay to, to just be very real and very honest with the Lord. And I always like to say that the Lord already knows the contents of your heart. So if you get before him and you just pour out the contents of your heart, he already knows what they are. Okay, he's not going to be surprised by that. Just be real with him the same way you would with a best friend, the same way with you, you would with some family member that you're really close to. You would just get real. Do that with the Lord. You will grow in your relationship with the Lord if you can start to interact with him in this way. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to grow. You need to get closer to the Lord. It will help in these hard times. So I think it's okay to, to press these hard questions to God. I think it's okay to wrestle with God. And the question is, are you, are you wrestling while remaining, remaining steadfast? Or are you kind of stepping outside of the Lord and saying, I can't believe you allowed this to happen. And you in your mind and your heart, you, you know the difference. You know the difference. I would say, come unto the Lord. Trust in his grace. Trust in his goodness. Realize that he will test your faith. He will put you through hard times, but it's not, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's precisely because he loves you. And he, he wants to see that steadfastness in your life. And you will grow and it will be amazing. And that retribution principle in your life, I think will, in the end, it'll, it'll prove to be true that the righteous will prosper. And he will prosper you. That doesn't mean, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about wealth. What is that? I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about relationships. That's prospering, okay? You have good relationships with people, that's prospering. You have joy, you have peace in your heart, that's, that's prospering. And you'll have those. And I, and I would just say, like, consider Jesus. Look in, look in Luke chapter 22, and I've got it up here on the screen. Jesus is in the garden. This is right before he goes to the cross. And Jesus is doing the very same thing that Job does. He's in the garden the night before he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He's in such agony that it says he's, he's sweating drops of blood. Look at it. It says, Father, if you are willing, he comes before the Lord and he says, for, for his father, and he says, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There appeared him an angel from heaven, strengthened him. He began in agony. He prayed more earnestly and sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, do you feel... Jesus is like on the ash heap, the same as Job is. Jesus is basically taking that potter and he's scraping himself. He's dripping swat, uh, drops of blood, sweating drops of blood. And he's saying there, but not my will be done, but your will. Gosh, I mean, if, if you can have this posture before the Father, it will revolutionize your life. 
You can be honest with him the same way that Jesus was honest with his father. And he said, if you're willing, let this cup pass for me. But not my will be done. Your will be done in my life. I think if you'll allow the Lord to do that in your life, you'll end up like Job. He's prosperous. He has a good life. You'll experience a closeness with the Lord that you've never experienced before. Lean into the situations where you are uncomfortable, where something has happened to you that you didn't deserve. The Lord might be trying to produce steadfastness in you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I, it's easy to, to look at the word and to stand up here and to, and to say these things. And Father, I, I know my own heart, Lord, that I, sh I struggle when, the, when uncomfortable things happen, when, when things happen in my life that I feel like are in the category of suffering or trial or testing, Lord, it's tough, and I, and I grumble and I complain. But Lord, I think you're telling us in your word that if we can lean into you more, that, that we can start to be so close to you that we can interpret those things through a wholly different lens. And that those things can actually start to bring glory to you rather than have this unnecessary focus on self. So God, I just ask that you would help all of us, Lord. I praise you for the, uh, the individuals that are in here, this, this large room, Lord, and everybody that just heard the word of the Lord preach, Father, I pray that as we sing these songs, Lord, there might be some people that need to stand up and they just need to, they just need to praise you. They need to praise you for, for some way that you were glorified through a difficult situation recently. And there's some that are in here going through a really difficult situation right now. They might just need to sit in their seat and they might just need to do a little business with you. Or they might just need to be silent and just listen to what the Holy Spirit might have to say to them. But Father, whatever it may be, I just, I just ask that your spirit would meet them right now where they are. I pray that just get real before you, Father. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.